Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School Special Topic, Stephen King, uh, also known as Two Queens Talking King. Hello, Joe. How are you? Hi, Joshua. <laughs> I'm good. I'm doing yeah. okay. Happy right, happy awesome. pandemiversary. Yes, it is the pandemiversary. That's right. Oh, Jesus. Uh, but that's all right, because today we at least have a, uh, a wonderful special guest who's going to join us in our in our fun conversation today. We've got, I love this uh, from uh, his website. He's a dad, writer, teacher, overthinker. Uh, he's got short stories, poetry, uh, now working with the Three Crones productions on podcasts and who knows what else. Uh, we are so, so happy to welcome to Fight School, Mr. Joe Costal. Welcome. Oh my gosh, you guys. I am so happy to be here. Let me tell you that Fright School looks even better live as it does in the brochures. The Fright School <laughs> campus is gorgeous. When I wandered onto campus and saw those gothic towers and the dungeons, and Mrs. Garrett made me a gargoyle feet confetti before I got here. And now here I am in my first class. I've audited so many Fright School classes, and now I'm full matric. And I'm just so happy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I wish. Wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, one day. One day. <laughs> one day um, it all goes yeah, real we... physical plant. <laughs> Actual ground, gentlemen. Yeah. That's what we should be aiming for. Oh. Uh. I mean, I mean, we're halfway there with Joshua. I mean, like, Joshua's home is what I envision, like, Fright School. Like, he lives on the grounds. It's very, it's very, like, Academy of the Unseen Arts. <laughs> Slowly, it's becoming more and more like that. Just wait till you're able to come back. We're working on, like, painting projects and doing all kinds of stuff. So who knows what the place is going to look like. Oh, my um, gosh. I love Jeffrey it. wants to paint all of his office walls black. So I don't know. We'll see. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> is your guest um, bedroom like a morgue like every dr there's drawers where people sleep in or exactly i think that'd be great 
um, it would, you know, save a lot of space, you know, so we could use, we could do other things in the room yeah. along with oh my letting gosh. people sleep. <laughs> and, and I can't believe, that uh, it, but no, we're, we're very excited to have Joe, uh, are, are we going to do like Joe and Joey? How are we going to tell yeah, Joe we're talking? Yeah, to? we can do the Joey. <laughs> that's fine. You guys can, it's fright school and like um, my mom and that's it. Those are the, <laughs> the two places. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Fright School um, can join the Guest ranks. lecturer Costal today. Um, <laughs> but no, we, we were very uh, happy to spend the day with you because you were the other panelist on the Jersey Ghouls ongoing March Madness, uh, Stephen King, 32 Stephen King films, you know, with best of uh, series. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we met you. And you had made an offhanded comment about Christine and Frankenstein that of course makes like fright school very happy, you know, very like, what? Let's talk about that. So we thought it'd be really fun to one, get a chance to spend, you know, a fun hour with you, you know, regardless. And then also do a deep dive into Christine, which we will, we'll get to in the second part of the episode. But uh, first, how, how is everybody holding up? (laughs) Um. Joey, you're a teacher, right? You teach what grade? Yes. Well, I, I'm actually a high school administrator, and then I teach um, at Stockton University here in South Jersey. Oh, okay. Um, Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. So how's that going uh, for you with the uh, pandemic? Crazy. <laughs> I can't believe when Joe said it, Are we? is this the actual date uh, pandemic anniversary? I mean, what do you get a pandemic on the paper anniversary? It's so crazy. I've been racking my brain all week. <laughs> A toilet paper, I think, is um, yes. That's true. Remember early pandemic? Well, it's so <laughs> the toilet paper craze. Yeah, I, I, so I, it's so interesting because, like, I was talking with another friend, and we were like, "Okay, what do you consider your like? What day will you consider your one year? Like your one year? This is like the year when the pandemic." quote unquote, became real for you. So I think like, I think the way it's going down historically is that March 11th, because that was the day that the World Health Organization declared it pandemic. That's the day that Tom Cruise, uh, Tom Cruise, Tom uh, Hanks gets it. It's the day that the NBA cancels their season. Like all of these dominoes happen on that one day for the world. Yeah. But like for me, it's like the 20th, like the 20th is going to be because that's the day that it was like officially locked down in the state of California. Um, But there's all this stuff leading up to it. So, so I don't know. So, yeah. So I think it's just interesting just kind of reflecting on the year um, on the last like these next few days having that be like the full reflection. But I was talking to another person. I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to like, you know, commemorate the pandemic by like going out and buying toilet paper, hand sanitizer, Clorox wipes, (laughs) because they are finally back on shelves now. Yes. That's so true. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I ever, you know, for me, so March 20th was that day. I remember it's funny. You guys talk about California because I, the entire pandemic California just felt like it was it was doing the things that that the rest of the country just should have been doing but were not like you know Disneyland is still closed isn't it I mean I to to this moment it's closed I think Walt Disney World yeah. like might have shut down Small World for 45 minutes one day and that and that was like that was their big contribution to the <laughs> So California just felt like you know like our like our big brother, you know, leading the way, and <laughs> Jersey just felt like it wanted to be California, but 
couldn't quite get there, you know? Yeah, and then I think that was, like, what, the miracle of California and then, like, the fall and winter hit, and then that kind of just all went out the window, so. Yeah, oh, okay, um, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's true. Oh, my God. But that's the thing, is that, like, it's it was... We, you know, feeling it was like, okay, you know, feeling relatively okay about things as long as we were able to, you know, stay inside right. uh, for the most part. But then as, as things started to open up as like, you know, that California mentality started to infect <laughs> and people just said, damn it all to hell. Yeah. Um, you know, then Los Angeles quickly becomes the epicenter of the pandemic. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's it's so awful. I I remember when we were closing school, everybody was like, "Ah, oh, well." First, it was like, "Well, it'll never close school," and then it was like, "Well, you know, we'll be back in a week." And then, I mean, school closed for the year. It just just didn't. It seems so surreal, you know. And now, I mean, my gosh, we're we prepare for anything, you know. It's like day to day feels feels like the way we operate, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. I just remember, like, I took it seriously from the get-go. Like, I just was kind of like, you know, I've read The Stand. Um, (laughs) You know, it just kind of felt very, you know, like, I have a firm belief, like, you know, if we can write about it and think about it and, like, we can, like, co-create it. So I was just like, oh, my gosh, is this, like, the thing? (laughs) Like, is this going to, you know, is this going to be really? And it has been. It absolutely has been extremely, um, you know, deadly and uh has disrupted you know innumerable lives for you know and in you know in in, um well in in ways that we can't even truly understand yet uh you know so it was just for me i was like oh we should definitely take this seriously this is kind of scary and then as it's kind of gone on i don't know people just I'm just not surprised by anything anymore, (laughs) you know? So like the openings, the closings that we're going to go out, you know, my, you know, a lot of my family lives in Ohio where this is a made up thing, uh, by us coastal elites. (laughs) I know. Yep. (laughs) To destroy presidents and things. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, so it's like, you know, kind of dealing with a lot of this bizarre dissonance. Um, you know, I think it's most like, we're going to be analyzing this time for a really long time you know, and the political economic ramifications of it, psychological ramifications of it. It's, you know, I mean, we're still not even out of it. You know, I mean, there's, it's still, I'm actually kind of worried, you know, they're talking about opening up more places and I'm just like, let's be careful, (laughs) you know, because I just kind of fully expect some resurgence or, you know, I mean, I know there are these other strains and things like that. So I just, I'm not fully comfortable saying that we're like out of the woods. I do know people really want to be. And, um, you know, I think people really do want to get back to, and I mean, and I do, I want to go to concerts. Oh my gosh, do I want to go to a concert? So fucking bad. (laughs) Just want a big live show with 50,000 other people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But. (laughs) And there's where we lost it. Hey everyone. It's Joe. So we actually had some uh, technical difficulties recording with Joey And uh, there was a point, unbeknownst to us, where his microphone dropped out during our conversation. And we lost, I kid you not, 25 minutes of this really cool conversation about Nomadland and 
uh, Chloe Zhao and how she's going to win an Oscar and all this other great stuff that is now um, lost to the ages. Um, but, you know, basically we hung out with Joey and uh, unfortunately you, you, you won't be able to hear any of that. So we do apologize, but uh, thankfully the rest of the recording was saved. So we were able to figure it out and um, get on another recording. And it wasn't until I went back to edit it that I realized that uh, Joey's mic went out and we lost all of that tape. So um, we're going to go to a quick break, uh, hear from our friends at Jersey Ghouls, and uh, we'll continue our conversation about uh, 1983 Stephen King adaptation, Christine. Stick around. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. (sighs) Um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. Hi-o! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. All right, welcome back. Today we are continuing our Stephen King deep dive. Uh, in conjunction with the Jersey Ghouls ongoing March Madness series that's all about uh, finding the best of 32 Stephen King film adaptations. So today, we are going to discuss 1983's Christine, or I guess John Carpenter's Stephen King's Christine. (laughs) Um, So yeah, uh, horror film, we got John Carpenter on direction, uh, starring Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, I think Harry Dean Stanton pops up in this. <laughs> and uh you know it's all about you know a boy getting his first car and then uh that car uh turns him into a monster uh <laughs> among other things and uh so as always we're going to start with Joe your thoughts on uh seeing Christine for the first time um so Christine it's weird cuz Christine's my older sister's name <laughs> so um, having to kind of um, negotiate all of that and how they talk about it, um, talk about the car. Um, I actually really, I really enjoyed this, um, really enjoyed this one. And this is kind of one of those movies that like in a Halloween kind of like 31 movies in October situation, uh, Christine is something that I would, I would add in. Um, and especially, and especially this is like one that you show, you know, people who have never seen it. So yeah, I really enjoyed this film, um, more than I thought I would. Um, I have a friend who knows that I do horror movies, um, and like do, do a horror podcast and he is not a horror person, but he said that one of his favorite films is Christine specifically because he's a car person. So seeing kind of all of the special effects around the car. Um, so yeah, like this is definitely in my, I guess in, you know, my usual barometer of would I watch again? Like, yeah, Christine, I would watch again. I like that you said you want to see it again. That's such a, uh, that's such a rare 
Yeah, that's a, that's a short list for out of the hundred and fifty some movies and films we've watched for uh, Fright School. It's a it's a tiny list that you would, uh, relatively speaking, that you would watch again. Um, so, all right, I want to kind of turn then a little bit to to Joey t- talking about. So when we when we were recording for the Jersey Ghouls and we were discussing Christine, and you kind of made this offhand comment, I think about teaching. Christine or teaching Frankenstein with Christine or something. I don't know. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, it definitely piqued our interest. So I'm just kind of want to jump from there and have you talk a little bit about, about that. Yeah. So, um, and I'm so, I'm so grateful. I said that little offhanded thing and got invited to fright school. It's just so <laughs> exciting. I'm so happy. I said it because we were also joking and, and re-listening to that Jersey Ghouls episode about how fright school was really the more emotion, the place where my emotions could land a little bit more readily than my sister's podcast, where <laughs> my emotions, my emotions there served the purpose to make her very angry at me. Um, here, here, here they can run free a little bit more, but yeah, there is a – so I exploited what I think is just an unbelievable connection between um, Christine and King and the novel Frankenstein. Um, so as like a um, – as a high school teacher who's always looking to get classics more accessible for students, especially for struggling readers, for a while, Christine was a really nice entree into helping students see – really just how much that archetype lives on, right? Like, you know, so you have in Mary Shelley, this 19-year-old, you um, know, 19th century Victorian mom who, if you look at her Wikipedia page, it says Frankenstein is considered one of the early works of science fiction. And I think that is such an unbelievable uh, understatement for what she did, because in reality, I think she creates She creates a modern horror movie. She defines those genres. She creates what is, to me, the most ubiquitous archetype of all time. And I think that Stephen King was chasing that explicitly. And in order to prepare to be with you guys today, I actually found really great proof, like the kind of proof that just made me want to jump up and down. It was amazing. But to get back to the teaching it, yeah, for a while, Christine made Frankenstein more accessible, but now I'm finding that Christine is, is not really all that accessible um, to students. So none of them are, you know, concerned about making their own cars, you know, and none of them. Christine really comes with a lot of, we discussed this on Jersey Ghouls, a lot of 50s nostalgia that today's students really cannot connect with. Um, so I don't even know how effective it is anymore, but the movie certainly helps, you know, and um, and I really do believe that King – this was King attempting to write a, a version of his own Frankenstein. You know, he was writing his own creature novel here. Yeah, I um, I, I think it's an interesting uh, comparison. I think it makes sense. I had found this um, uh, tested by research article, and they say uh, in Christine King draws upon two classics of the Gothic horror genre mary shelley's frankenstein or the modern prometheus and i'm sure we can all guess the second one uh, is robert louis stevenson's strange case of dr jekyll and mr hyde uh so themes of uh, free will and individual's choice to do good rather than evil um you know king uses stevenson's transformation of personality and the evil within while arnie's restoration of christine and its deadly results mimic frankenstein's creation of his monster uh so i i think that that's a great um you know, that, that, that we kind of see those elements of Gothic horror present in, in Christine. Uh, but what yeah. evidence, what, what were you talking about that you, that you found? Uh, cause I definitely so, would. 
Yeah, I so so you know King does not like this novel. I don't think Christine is a particularly strong novel. King himself doesn't think he did a good job with this novel. Um, he wrote this right after Cujo, and he he pretty famously says that he was blacked out for the writing of Cujo. Um, so he is definitely <laughs> in his drug phase for this, and he he yeah. admits that. But what's less reported is that in 1980, King gets a fellowship to the University of Maine to be an uh, you know live in like fiction professor. And it, that it's that time living on campus with his then young family. And what history will tell us is at the, the beginning of his prime that he writes Dance Macabre. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's a 1981 nonfiction book. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you, you are. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a great book and it's, it, it does a lot for kind of deconstructing horror specifically, but even you can use it to deconstruct any movie and literature, um, I depended on it heavily when I taught film, but in that he he you know he talks about Frankenstein um, pretty heavily, and he writes this one line that just I, I never knew, I never saw before, and it drives me crazy. It's on page fifty two of that book. He says he's talking about Frankenstein. He says the inevitable result, of course, is the creation of a monster with more parts than a J.C. Whitney automotive catalog. And when you think about the fact that in one year's time he would embark upon writing Frankenstein as a car novel, that line had to be like a spark. So either the line was a spark or he had the idea in his head and that's why he thought about it. But he literally, you know, uh, likens Victor Frankenstein chasing the creation of the monster to a guy with a really complicated auto parts catalog, which is what Christine (laughs) is. You know, I mean, literally Christine is just about finding auto parts for a (laughs) guy. a good couple hundred pages you know so um yeah i think i think it's all right there for sure right but but it also really shines a light on what the major misunderstanding about frankenstein is in our culture right um i think that the one thing that king helps to do is sort of draw the unbelievable misunderstandings that we have as as a civilization about that novel you know you mean in like who is Frankenstein? That kind of question. Yeah, all of it. You know, just how big yeah. Boris Karloff made that 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 symbol, and how iconic the wrong the wrong character is. You know, you you could give. <laughs> I've done this test with with uh, with both my high school and college students, where you give them like silhouettes of major. Um, like icons, like, you know, everything from Ronald McDonald and Sherlock Holmes to Frankenstein and Dracula. And you have everybody from a variety of different backgrounds. And Frankenstein is like consistently in the top one or two most recon- re- recognizable iconic figures, um, you know, more recognizable than most logos or e- even o- really only like, um, you know, Renaissance portraits of Jesus are more instantly recognizable <laughs> just facially. No, I'm serious. Yeah. You know, no, like, I, I like believe Boris Karloff's Frankenstein and the Bela Lugosi Dracula are often in the top five, along with, along with the, you know, the, the very standard sort of, um, like I said, you know, the European renderings of Jesus. Um, they are, they are vastly recognizable despite language. They cross our cultural barriers. And so, and that has nothing to do with the Mary Shelley novel. Um, by right. contrast, almost nobody knows what that novel's about. Almost nobody knows how vastly different it is from the way the movies portray that that character. 
Yeah, I would I would venture to say so. It's a it's a dense piece. <laughs> you know, the original novel, it's epistolary as well. It's journals and letters and articles right. and uh which Stephen King likes to work that way. Carrie is written very much that way with, you know, prose elements. Mm-hmm. Um yep. But yeah, I think I think you're 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 very correct. Uh, so I, you know, I, I do get that it is kind of out of date. That's one of the frustrating things with like uh, Stephen King in general is that like '50s nostalgia porn that comes with quite a lot of his work, uh, especially his older work. Uh, that I, I'm more familiar with that. I haven't read. I don't. I don't keep up with him like I used to. Um, mostly because I just haven't enjoyed a lot of his later work um, as much as I enjoyed, I guess, uh, his drug, drugs and booze. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But when you think about, you know, our favorite musicians, our favorite people, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just a, um, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I I don't want to say it's a fact that we make great work when we're younger and then tend to not make as great a work when we're older. I don't think that's true. I think there's plenty of incredible artists who get better and better as they age and write better and whatnot. Um, I think if anything, it's Stephen King is sort of, um, there's such a weight to that now, you know, I mean, there's such like an expectation that I, I sometimes wonder, um, and because he's such a behemoth, like the, the questions of how much he's edited and how much his manuscripts get that sort of, you know, run through, you know, by, by, by a, someone else, I think contributes right. a little bit to, to yeah. the fact that is, that is, um, work i just feel suffers under its own weight uh to to a degree so there's something about like those early novels like carrie and christine although i've not read christine i'll say because and i'm gonna get into that next um uh, but i but i know it's thinner you know it's a slimmer novel something that you can kind of I, i think it's more um you know it's a it's a cohesive tale a little bit more than some of his stuff that like this rambling monologue. <laughs> no, no, for him, it's, so I have a copy right here. It clocks in at 719 pages, but that would make you correct, sadly. Well, yeah, I guess for some of his, that's true. So it's not as thin as yeah. Carrie, certainly, but um, I, I think it's probably it's, at least, you know. Yeah, it's not the stand. It's not it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> Are you body shaming right. Christine? <laughs> It's not as thin, it's Gary. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it, he, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think you're missing anything, Josh. It's not a good novel. Um, and, and, but, you know, I'm so interested in, in why Joe thought it, it, it was such a good movie because I think it's possible to say that the movie was definitely, um, you know, was succeeding on a level that maybe the novel didn't. And, and I don't know. Is this just a crappy, is this a really great horror writer making a really crappy grab at Frankenstein? I don't know if this is, if this is the direction you want to go, but there, I think he does, he does do some things. He does get some like little Easter eggs, right? Um, I think he does do some things right in this. And I don't know if those things also translate to the movie. Um, but the choking, for instance, I think the choking is definitely an homage to Frankenstein, right? Like um, the creature in Shelley's work chokes, um, more than one of his victims are bludgeoned, right? Um, yeah. The choking is his, his, uh, you know, his his murder weapon of choice, right? And and it seems to be for Christine as well. You know, at at first, at least, she chokes quite a few people in the in the movie as well, right? Yeah, so I'm very curious. Choked, uh, yeah, she chokes the girlfriend in the movie. I'm pretty sure, or tries to choke the girlfriend. Probably, um, I'm. I've. I again, I'm not. <laughs> 
I am very interested in the conversation around Christine. I watched the film when I was very young and I watched it again for this um, rewatch and I was still like, wow, this is not great. Um, I don't understand like the American obsession with cars. I don't have a driver's license. I don't drive. I've never driven. Um, You know, so there's something for me like the King boys, um, you know, Stephen with Christine and uh, Joe Hill with Nosferatu, which I actually prefer and think is a much better work, but that's a whole other thing. I also, again, have not read Christine, so I can't really say if it's good or bad, uh, but I have a seeking suspicion. Uh, So I don't understand like the killer car, live car thing, and Stephen King does it here, and he does it with Maximum Overdrive or Trucks, um, I think is the short story. Um, You know, so yeah, I just, um, yeah, I'm not sure what to say. I, uh, about all the the small details because this is one of the few Stephen King films I've not seen a million times. Um, but Joe, I, yeah, I kind of want to know the same thing. What what about this movie succeeds for you as like a first time viewer and as like not somebody who's read you know the hundred Stephen King books that <laughs> or stories and books. Well, I mean, what what succeeds for me is that it's it's a very it's a very simple premise. Like the car kills people. <laughs> the it's a car that is sentient. I think is what's interesting, and so and then you know you can you can automatically draw like the the american obsession with cars specifically like that opening scene where they're in the factory in detroit and you know christine's first taste of blood <laughs> um uh, blood there and it's interesting cuz like you know we uh, we meaning like our american society american culture is very much been a, it's very much a motor culture you know we don't have um we don't have um except in you if you live in a major city and by major city i mean like specifically san francisco chicago and new york <laughs> that you we don't have that um like appreciation for uh, public transportation and the reliability of such. Um, I mean, we're Joshua and I both live in Southern California, so you know you can't get any more motor than that. And there's an element of freedom that cars represent, and especially when you're thinking about like the main character, who is very relatable, being this you know very nerdy, bookish. You know, I, I hate like glasses means loser. Like I love, I love that Stephen King. <laughs> uh, that Stephen King. That's a trope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh-huh. So you know, he's wearing glasses. He's a loser, but like you know, this is his way to exercise freedom. And then you know that goes into the conversations that he has with his parents about how like his parents are overbearing and he's you know kind of free to do he's he bought his own vehicle he now represents that he's he's free to do whatever he wants so i think that that's something that definitely speaks to um it speaks to like who i envision like christine working for which is like it i envision it as like this is a slumber party movie this is a movie that you watch with like a bunch of teenagers this is like you know you pair this with um you pair this with like another kind of uh, quote unquote like teen film and that's why i think like it 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 could lend itself and i'm gonna sound like a prophet if this is in the works at at um at blumhouse but like it it definitely lends itself to an updating of some sort because yeah um because like if you think about it right it, it's a movie that takes it's a movie that was released in the 80s about the 70s about a car from the 50s which like basically you could make this movie now and it would take place in like 2010 about a car about the nineties and a car, you know, like it, <laughs> because like that's how far away we are. 
So, you know, it's like, it's uh, <laughs> it's like a Datsun. It's not Christina's a Datsun. Or Christina's like some, you know, uh, some like uh, commuter car from the 1990s. But all of that to say is that that's what works for me in this, is that like it is it has like these deeper levels, like we can go deeper with it, but it functions on the surface as just like a fun, like horror romp. I'm not going to say slasher because there's no actual slashing that goes on into it, in it, but and it has, but it operates, but it operates. Yeah. Yeah. It operates in that way. Um, I like the idea of, cause I know Joshua mentioned this when we were recording uh, with the ghouls that like the car, has like in the novel the car is also kind of speaking right is that is that is that correct yeah like, and that's that's big yeah go ahead so like i like the idea that like you don't hear the car speak like it's very i i do like it when like the monster doesn't have an interior monologue and it's just kind of random and there's that there's that chaotic element to it um and i think that having that in this film is what really works for me Plus, I mean, like, it's it's just something that, like, I was just curious how they're going to get themselves out of this and to kind of see, um, to kind of see our main character's descent into madness, um, the more, um, I, I feel like they could have explored that a little bit more, but, I mean, those are the things that work for me. Um, now I want to go watch it again right now. <laughs> yeah i'm not sure about christine because i hadn't read christine i know cujo has um a a chapter that's narrated from cujo's perspective but i don't know about christine because isn't it it's like haunted or something like i think within the novel there's like the corpse in the back seat that like talks to arnie but it's like the whole guy so it's like who's possessing who is it the car is it i know there's questions that get kind of trimmed down in in the film version but Mm -hmm. i'm not sure yeah, no, there, it, there's def, it's definitely more of like a possession in the novel because the, the, the criminal, the murderer who has put his spirit or whatever in the car, I mean, you don't get really anything but a passing glance at that in the movie. And I think wisely Carpenter realized that it would probably cooler just as a killer car than to get really deep into the psychology of it. But that's, you know, another place where I, I think I like what, what King tried to do in the novel because – I think he's making a direct line between Shelley's monster who does, who is extremely articulate um, in Frankenstein and says some really horrible things like, and says them in that Victorian sort of, you know, like, you know, very articulate Harvard debater, you know, kind of like, he's like, you know, I'm going to be the, 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 the most chilling line in Frankenstein is when the creature says, I'm going to be there on your wedding night. And implies in a very 19th century way that like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to, I'm going to kill everyone you, you love. It certainly implies uh, sexual violence, which, you know, I'm sure horrified its audiences at the time. And, um, you know, I think that King was trying to tap into that. He does it with the radio, right? Like, I think he really wanted, I think Carpenter wanted Christine to talk through the music. Um, Yeah. And I'm, I don't know, Joe, I'd be interested how much you thought that worked because um, I watched for the ghouls, Christine, with my kids. And I was really shocked at how well it held up for them. Um, and I was shocked at how unimpressed they were when Harry Dean Stanton showed up on screen. But that's just me. Um, and you know, they, they liked it just as a killer car movie, much like you're describing. Um, and 
you know, I, I wonder what you thought about all the 50s songs coming out of the radio because they were really, really annoyed <laughs> by that part. I, I think, like, it telegraphs it a little much, you know, and yeah. and it wants to work as this, like, very like like this very slashery thrillery stalkery thing and it could work if you had just leaned into like how campy you know because it's like the it, it reminded me like of clue of like the needle drops in clue as like the police officers investigating and they're dancing with the corpses like that's what it was for me yeah yeah uh, um but it, it, if there's a lot of winking yeah there's a lot of winking the end, right yeah yeah so yeah. And, and yeah. I don't yeah go ahead. Corey. I was going to say so like it it's the it works because it's like we know what's going to happen and it telegraphs it but if they if it had been if you had if if the movie itself was more in that kind of like campy spirit in the same way that like the movie that comes to mind right now is Freaky the new Freaky um uh with Vince Vaughn right now it's just because it's like it's very much embodies that both simultaneously this very campy spirit but then also it's a it's definitely a slasher so it and christine didn't do that and that's kind of beyond a lot of like the 80s films that i've seen it's like we need to take ourselves seriously as a slasher film and that's what it was to me trying to do or at least my impression right yeah and that you know so in a way what you're telling me is that the you know, Carpenter had a better sense of what the story could be for the audience, I think, than King did. And it's funny because in the places that King goes wrong are, in my opinion, the ways he's chasing Shelley. Like, the, do you guys know how the creature – I feel like nobody knows this. You know how the creature dies in the novel Frankenstein? Are you aware mm-hmm. of its death at all? I thought that it um, – at the end – I thought it, no, I guess it, Victor's put out on an ice flow, no? Yeah. No, so you're absolutely goes, right. Yeah, you're right, then, John. Nobody knows this. He doesn't die. <laughs> he right. doesn't die say, in the novel. Not the creature. Victor dies. Yeah, right. Vic, Victor dies, like, in Antarctica, right? Like, yeah. chasing him down. So, like, Victor literally, like, dashes himself on the rocks to try to stop the reign of terror because – Frankenstein is going to kill anyone associated with him and purposely Frankenstein, the creature, right, the monster, is going yeah. to kill anybody, <laughs> the monster is going yeah. to kill anybody associated with him, but not him. And, and Victor right. Frankenstein has no other choice, but to go chase him down at the end of Christine, the novel King tries really hard to recreate that because he does this thing where you realize that Christine is coming back. Um, one of the gang dies when they're older and the narrator, what the heck is his name? The football kid. It's like Brad or some Brian. What's what's the football Bro, kid? I forget. What is it? Yeah, whatever, whatever broy name he has, Greg, some kind of 80s name. The the football kid oh, Dennis. realizes Dennis. There you go. Sorry, sorry to all the <laughs> so Dennis. Far from Brody. Listening. I can't remember. <laughs> sorry. sorry to all my friends named Dennis. But anyway, uh Dennis realizes that the car has reanimated. He, you know, he squashes it and then uh, someone dies far away and then the book ends with Dennis having this thought Christine's back and maybe I'm, I'm going to be the last one she kills. And, and the movie ends on almost this like 80s sitcom, like, wah, wah, like here's the music, right. you know, and oh, it's just the junkyard guy with the boom box. And it's like, bam, 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 bam. it's the eighties and everything's funny. You know, and it's like, damn Christine, you know, like, so I just feel like, <laughs> 
in a way, it's less heavy-handed. And, you know, I think King's always struggled with not being that way, you know, not not trying so hard to get get it right from a literary perspective. I think Carpenter's sense was better in a way about the tone. Yeah, well, so a couple of things I want to uh, talk about. One, so yeah, John Carpenter coming onto this, uh, he had been hired to do Firestarter, but was fired because of The Thing. And because The Thing was a spectacular failure when it came out because of uh, E.T., <laughs> Right, you know, ET, yes. and like, you know, movie yeah. going audiences were very much p- plugged into like ET and like this hopeful look at at an at an alien, and we wanted yep. to. The eighties were about that. The eighties were about excess and hope, and everything's going to be fine. And he comes through with this dark, cerebral, you know, alien movie that nobody got. That now, of course, people look back on it. I mean, it's a masterpiece, but you know, masterpiece. Um, yeah, you know. So I think that you know. Having learned those lessons coming into this, you know, when you're going to approach something else like, you know, and again, Stephen King has done, you know, his career has been a great, you know, taking of like ordinary everyday things, you know, that people love, you know, a dog, a car, you know, the innocence of teenage girls, you know, and turning them to these monstrous things. And so there's you know that can get very heavy and convoluted very quickly. And so I think Carpenter, having kind of learned that lesson coming into this and, and streamlining it and really, you know, kind of giving it that like, like Halloween, you know, it feels like, I mean, Christine feels kind of like the slashery cause that's what, you know, Carpenter's biggest success at the time I would argue was probably, um, Halloween (laughs) at this this time of course now we look back and maybe people have different you know opinions on what is his best film um but still just to take what you know he learned from there and what he learned making the thing to 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 to, uh, make this you know movie about a killer car just that's what it is it's a killer car (laughs) y'all and at the end uh you know maybe it's I can't remember at the end what happens it does a zoom in close-up does something move in the junk pile like the car's not dead yeah, you hear the '50s soundtrack again, and you think because that was always the the tip off that Christine was coming or was regenerating. But when you hear the '50s soundtrack, it's just the junkyard guy with a boombox. Okay, for some reason, I was thinking it kind of zo- zoomed in and she twitches or something. Oh, maybe yeah, the, it does the like the little cylinder shakes like, or whatever. The, yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. just like the yep. kind of idea that you know she's not dead. So again, keeping yeah, with those like, slasher. Those slasher tropes. Right. It gives the most slapsticky wink towards that, right? But it doesn't, it stops short of like making the car come back again and start killing. Yeah, of course. While everybody's like, oh, I must be next, you know, which, you know, changes the tone for sure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But I just, I think that's kind of important to sort of realize where both of them were at in their life when this film got made and, you know, and under what circumstances. Uh, And it was interesting to see John Carpenter get that chance to make a Stephen King movie after not getting Firestarter, which I also think is a terrible film and maybe would have been way better had they let, um, Carpenter do it instead, but you know, whatever, that's how that goes. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about, Joe, was to kind of go back a little bit where you were saying it's, it's so interesting because America does have a very particular relationship with the car, you know, unlike other countries, the, just the vastness of our land, like of the land that makes up the United States and the Americas, you know, really necessitates that relationship with cars. 
And what I think is also very interesting, particularly about Stephen King, that, you know, he was born in 1947. I think the Model T became like a thing in 1908. And then over the over the you know couple of years, you know, became the, the cheap, quote unquote, relatively speaking, cheap car that people could afford. So in his lifetime, when he was born, the car wasn't even 40 years old yet, you know. And so there's like the kind of like us with uh, technology, with computers, you know, like I think 20 years ago, the kind of computer I have is nothing like what I can hold in my hand now, how quickly cars must have changed in Stephen King's lifetime, you know. And so I think it's very interesting that kind of obsession of like, in the 50s, when you think of people that were really obsessed, like teenagers, uh, Jeffrey's dad was big into car culture, you know, total like greaser type guy with his Corvette. And, you know, there was just a totally different, I think, relationship at that time than we have now. You know, even though people still are very obsessed about their cars, I just think that like the amazing, it must have been very amazing to see cars go from like the Model T to what we see in this film being a 50s car, like just in 50 years, how radically different the car became and now it's kind of not changed at all for i mean the basics of them are the same right i guess the electric car um although we know that was killed i get there's like that whole documentary like we could have had electric cars a long time ago but that's a whole other thing um but anyways i just kind of wanted to comment a little bit on that because i think that's um it's something that i'm completely you know ignorant of is that relationship like that people have with their cars they don't get it people name their cars they love their cars they you know there's this whole like i like your sense of freedom statement i think that's you know very very true there is that american there's just something so american about (laughs) being in our cars yeah i mean like i so i didn't get my license until i was 21 and like and and then even then when I got my license, I didn't like actually it took me like maybe three or four months to like be comfortable driving myself around without anybody. Um and it was interesting because it cause like there was definitely like I I I suddenly understood like all of the possibilities like of what that means to like have a car. And especially, you know, being in my early twenties, being a young gay man in my twenties, what that could mean for other things as well. Um um so you know so being able to to do that and i get that um this is a really this is a basic question but like joey have you ever have in of the cars that you own have you ever named them and what is their name yeah i i feel like i had other people name my cars for me because i had a really crappy white ford taurus forever um and i remember friends like calling it something but i i had um, the kind of car that like everybody on, on the, on the block or everybody in my, you know, on my, on, on my floor in college used, um, because I, I grew up right outside of New York city. I didn't, I didn't realize that I needed a car until I went to college in the suburbs, you know, but I can't, I, I wish I had a better answer for you. I don't have a good one. I, um, my wife had a car, Ugh, hold on. You're gonna have to edit this. What did we call your car? Your crappy car in Florida? Squeakers. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. We called it squeakers because it was a little shitty car and it squeaked everywhere. Like I could hear her coming from like down the road. And I was like, oh, there's my little squeakers. So yeah, we definitely uh definitely named that car. I'm sure I have others in the past. But you're right. It be it's that's part of it, right? That's part of the culture of it. See, squeakers is a is the name of a 
if squeakers was a killer car like it's a very you know it's ineffective because you can hear squeakers coming but like the tension (laughs) of the building (laughs) but can i build on that for a second and maybe this is going to bring it to like deep but i think that the killer part is important because so follow me down this road a little bit up there's some car humor for you follow me down this road for just a second (laughs) the car also creates killers it, it, it kind of makes killers out of us in a way that almost no technology does explicitly. Right. And, and I think that that's important because that relationship between what we create and the, you know, if you, I, I have, so I would never uh, share this more intimately than this, but I'll say it in a way that's safe. I have a friend who had the incredible, horrible, you know, accident happened where he was responsible accidentally for someone's death in, a, in an automobile. And maybe more of us have, have been, you know, more intimately even involved in this horrible occurrence. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I've never stopped thinking about, you know, what, what an unbelievable truth that is and what a, what a life altering thing that is. And, and the car brings that with it, right? It, it brings all of this freedom. It brings all of these other things that obviously, you know, grow, we don't have a society the way we do. Our society is predicated completely on the car, right? It is the most important piece of the industrial revolution in the United States of America, but it brings with it the, the potential for death. And, and, you know, car, automobile accidents are the number one killer for, the, you know, you go back and look through the years since its invention. I mean, it's the deadliest technology, right? I mean, in, in explicit terms. Right. And so this idea of being responsible for what we create ha- is at the heart of all of the stories that are like Christine and, and Frankenstein. All of the Frankenstein-esque stories are ultimately stories about that responsibility for this thing we made and now it's destroying. Um, and, and it's still the movie, the book – you know, the 19th century prototype that it's based on, that's still to me the most engaging question is at what level are we responsible for these things we make and these, these things we quote unquote need. People look at uh, vehicular deaths as progress, as, as, a, as an unfortunate part of progress. Right. I mean, that's, that's a lot, right? That's a big leap yeah. to take socially. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know. I, I always think of that too. No, I'm Sorry not t- I, I mean- brought it down. <laughs> No, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's exact. I mean, that's what Fright School is all about. So it's perfectly fine. Um, I think that's very important in tying it to kind of what Joe was saying about like, you know, the sexual freedom that comes with having a car. That's a big part of like, you know, you always have parents. No, I'm not giving you a car. As soon as you get a car, you'll go out and you'll do X, Y, Z. You know, um, that was a big part of obviously the fifties and sixties and driving cultures, like necking in the back of your giant car with no seatbelts and you know, I mean, there's this like, there's, there's, a, yeah. What, what else are you responsible for? And it's like, you know, d- it does become those questions of like, how does the car radically change your life in a lot of ways? And that th- the one thing is, it's a, you know, two ton metal death box is is, is yeah. something that you know or however heavy a car is i don't know shit about cars um but but you know it's it, it that's a possibility and i think that's extremely um extremely important to to point out and i i like that uh stephen king does that a lot we're going to get our next episode's also going to get into a little bit of technophobia in the work of stephen king but obviously the car is technology and and you know in in stephen king's world technical advancement uh, rarely is a good thing, rarely goes well for the people involved. Um, 
you know, he's very suspicious of it in that, in that sort of way. Right. Um, while also upholding certain things, obviously within Christine, like car culture and like love of love of Americanism. <laughs> um, oh, that's so. You just put that so beautifully because, like, that's to me that is exactly what science fiction is. This genre that was created by Mary Shelley is that this science fiction is specifically about us reckoning with our own genius, right? It's us reckoning right. with with our own discovery and. Um, and like you, you know, you see like more modern movies that are dealing with like AI and all that stuff, but like you, we think about like the car and also, you know, the, the kind of power. And I think that that's what those things are all kind of like encapsulated in, um, in Arnie is this idea of like the sexual freedom that comes with having a car, the power that it has to like that power that you instantly wield of being able to take a life, um, like to, to, um, like that is a real possibility when you get behind the wheel is that like, you know, not only could you endanger yourself, but you're endangering others. Um, and I know Joshua, I know Joshua wanted to bring this up too, but I'm, I just want to, I'm going to introduce it and say like, um, you know, Christine as like a femme fatale character is very interesting because like the scene where she's rebuilding herself is like so sexual <laughs> it's so erotic he's like standing in front of this car as it's like you know rebuilding itself and it's weird because like if if it was a if this was like a, an erotic scene between two people she would uh you know christine the person would be removing clothes but in this in this situation she's like putting things on and that's just like making her sexier and I just was like, yeah. I was looking at this and I was like, this is a really horny shot. <laughs> and I don't know, yeah. like, I think that was the response, but like, because there's just also like, there's a beauty of like those old fifties cars and how like, you know, these land yachts that like were, you know, f- it was more about like design than it was about like, you know, safety and function. Um, Joshua, I, I, I totally I totally supplanted you. So please continue with the, yeah, no, the femme fatale. No, you just blew up. You blew up the whole, like I had a whole perfect, like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, never mind. Um, I really wanted to talk about the horny scene. I was like, um, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. that. I think you're right on top of it though. I think that that, that, you know, the, the sexual tension, because I, I think it all relates back to the fact that then sex is the great stand in for creation, right? Like, so, you know, right. you know, none of us are going to put, are going to find a bunch of body parts and, and, and create life. And none of us are going to, are going to go to the scrapyard and put Christine together, but we all, you know, we all have the capacity to create and, and then we have a responsibility for that creation. And yeah, you can create in art, you can create in, you know, in palpably or tangibly, but, but you also can create life. And, and then how, how much of a trope is it that when that life runs amok, what is your responsibility to, you know, to kill yourself chasing it down to stop its rampage, you know, is, is, yeah, is also at the heart of science fiction. So it all comes back to sex. It, you know, <laughs> the yeah. creature wanted to mate, you know, in, in, in Frankenstein and, and then that mate gets destroyed because she won't, you know, she doesn't want anything to do with it. So, you know, that, that's Arnie right at, at his heart. I mean, he, he, he wants he wants to be better than he is, and at what cost does that come? At what price do you pay for that? Always. 
Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, that's actually the perfect uh, wrap up because that is absolutely, uh, I think, was the point. And dear listener, you can uh, dive into the comments or into the uh, notes section for the um, uh, Christine Femme Fatale article. <laughs> but Joe did that perfectly, so that's fine. Uh, <laughs> less complicated than I was going to make it. So, so you, you got away with it, dear listener. You didn't listen to a lecture. Um, Oh, I think you should do it, Josh. I'm, I'm <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, no, I think that's perfect. Uh, I think that's a perfect place to kind of really wrap it up. That's just the natural um, uh, place. So, you know, this whole conversation and that thought gave me a, a very different perspective on Christine. Uh, I kind of want to read the novel after reading sort of what the differences and the, that they did just cause I'm curious about how that plays out. Um, but I've got a, you know, a giant stack of books to still get through. So I'm not going to put that on my, my list any, anytime soon, <laughs> but I am curious. Um, but yeah, so, uh, Joey, give us the rundown of what you're working on, where people can find you, all that kind of, all oh that. Oh my gosh. Thing. Yeah. Thank you. So first of all, I'm, I'm so thrilled to have been a part of this today you guys are the best i'm a big fan um two queens talking king is just the greatest the fact that joe just came, i listened to the episode where joe just whipped that out and josh you were like why didn't you tell me this before it started um, it's just the most earnest wonderful piece of podcasting i've heard in a while um, but i just love two queens talking king it made my whole i literally chortled um the best name ever but i'm so happy to be here um you can always find me at joecostal.com i'm Super excited to be um, a part of Three Crones Network with my new show called Every Month Madness, which I'm going to spend a lot of time trying to talk these two gentlemen into appearing on um, as soon as we're done here. But that um, you can find that at all of uh, wherever you find your Jersey Ghouls goodness. And um, I uh, also just want to say I'm very happy to have some poetry coming out very soon in the next couple of weeks at a at a journal called the McNeese review, which is out of Louisiana and was put together by um, grad literature students at uh, McNeese University who uh, stopped production of their journal because they were hit by a devastating uh, hurricane. And many of them were homeless and uh, many of them, you know, it affected their lives seismically, but they still put their their literary journal together. And I think that the journal has kind of become a story of their um, resilience. And I'm just so thrilled to be a part of it. So I'll, I'll put that on my website soon. And that's it. That's what we have coming up. So I, I'm so grateful for the time. Very cool. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll have links to uh, to you in the description and uh, the notes. And um, yeah, we were. It was so much fun, you know, doing the March Madness Jersey Ghouls thing with you. And uh, this was perfect to. Uh, uh, I, I, again, yes, I'm glad that you made that offhanded remark as well. I mean, there were, we would have asked you to come on anyways because you had plenty of other great <laughs> oh. thoughts on Stephen King. Um, but that was just like, that was just perfect to be like, oh, there it is. That can be a great episode when we're, you know, we were trying to find a, a, um, an in with, with, you know, some of the stuff we're doing on this, obviously people have seen and have loved, but Christine was kind of like this weird place, but I, I knew I wanted to talk about Americans and cars. So it's perfect for you to bring up Frankenstein. I'm like, this is there great. Is. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. So, so thank you again uh, for, for joining us. Uh, Joe, as always, I adore you and thank you for another fun week. Dear listener, thank you as always for listening and sharing and liking and doing all the social media things that you do to help keep the show uh, in people's earballs. So 
Thank you both again, and good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. Listening to the Geekscape Network.